Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good afternoon. Scott Luton and Greg White with you right here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? I'm doing good, Scott. How are you? I was just making sure we were on the proper side so Gary is not uh, put out by... Although we've flipped again, haven't we? So... I always, Greg, I always look at it as if we're on the same side, my friend. Always on the wow. same side. I like that. Uh, and I think Gary would prefer that we're always on the same side. <laughs> well, we enjoyed our pre-show conversation with our featured guests and the rest of the team here today. Laura Cesare will be joining us, the one and only Laura Cesare. So huge mm. opportunity to enhance your supply chain IQ. It's great to have her back on the show, right? Every single time, Yes. Yeah, how can you how can you listen to Laura and not get smarter? All right, <laughs> Siri. I mean, I you know I really really thought through that statement. I mean, that's it's true. You yep. You better get smarter. Well, I just I, I liked listening to some of the the COVID discussion on the front end and and lots of good good comments made, but one of them in particular, and I think this is universal and I think it's very related to business and supply chain, is you got to be able to have an honest, frank conversation. Yeah. And that is lacking in so many different areas, including with conversations on related to COVID-19. So, so folks, that's hopefully one of your key takeaways. Whatever you do the rest of the day, make sure. That's you all you need to know. Thanks for coming, everybody. <laughs> but hey, don't miss our uh, Laura Cesare's latest appearance right here on Supply Chain Now. We'll get to Laura in just a minute. So Can we get to, wait, before we get to everybody else yeah. and, and the rest of the lead in, can you give us an idea, Scott, because I think it's becoming a matter of interest, of interest among the community. What are the items that are on your shirt? What is being represented represented on your shirt today? These are sailboats. And it's oh, they are. Okay. It's hard for me to see. You're kind of small. It's a tribute so. to my dear friend, our dear friend, Kelly Barner, who is at the Cape again this week. And I always think of sailboats. What the heck? <laughs> I don't know. When does she work? <laughs> Well, you know what? Interestingly enough, I've gotten emails and slacks from Kelly. So she, she stays well, the on. the truth is, when does she not work? Right. She just does it from everywhere, right? That is right. And man, we got some favorites tuned in already. I look forward to saying hello. But yeah, Kelly, safe travels wherever you are. If you're listening in, uh, we are wearing today's shirt full of sailboats just for you. So always starting with the hard-hitting news. Thanks so much, Greg. Um <laughs> Let's let's talk about it's become part of the narrative, hasn't it? I mean, we've got to we've got to discover what new and interesting shapes you have on your shirt. Well, I'm just trying to wear a shirt as colorful as your personality, Greg. That's all I'm trying to do here. But <laughs> always a pleasure. All right. So, folks, we're going to knock out some announcements really quick. You're not going to miss. I think that we're going to tackle three things really quick. Not quip, but quick. August 18th mm. next week. We have our upcoming webinar, Quip, Greg. I've been doing some homework, you know, on our friends from Quip. My wife, Amanda, has known about Quip for far longer than I have. She's a raving fan. But as I've been doing some homework, there's lots and lots of raving fans. One company, I think BuzzFeed, called Quip the iPhone of toothbrushes. So looking forward to this one, huh? Yeah, it's 
it is a smart device. I mean, it. I think it makes sure that you brush certain sections a certain amount of time and not too hard and all of that stuff, which yep. is good because the. For those of you who don't know, worst thing you can do is brush your teeth really hard because it curls the bristles back and then they don't do their job. It's actually much better to have them just lightly against your teeth. That's the closest I've been Try to it sometime. in years, Greg. <laughs> Try it sometime, Scott, and you'll <laughs> you will notice the difference. So check, we're going to get the business lesson behind Quip. We're going to learn about their omnichannel journey and evolution. We're going to learn how they got into thousands of retail locations, including yeah. Walmart and Target. So join us August 18th, 12 noon for that. Link to join is in the comments. Of course, we've got Larsa Seri here, one of the most trusted voices in global business. And each year she has, she hosts the Supply Chain Insights Global Summit. Now, Greg, we're excited about being the exclusive virtual partner for the, the, the digital version of this event. But you yeah. got to register, right? Yeah, this right here, first of all, is the best graphic in the history of supply chain. I just love this graphic. But it, I mean, it, it does kind of represent exactly what we're doing here. And, you know, in our virtual and physical world, this is a great opportunity for you or someone you love or someone you care about in supply chain to learn from the very, very best. And every year, Laura herself, but also those she brings to talk to practitioners are hugely valuable in bringing a ton of knowledge. Pony up the bucks, put a crowbar in your wallet, pry the money out and get here. You can learn more at the link in the, in the show notes or supplychainsightsglobalsummit.com. And finally, hey, we're going to celebrate a lot of good news while doing good work. Uh, December 8th of this year, the first annual, so it's a reincarnation of an event we've hosted the last couple of years, but it's the 2021 Global Supply Chain and Procurement Awards. You can learn more at that URL or in the link. And just know this, not only are we going to be celebrating lots of good news, successes, wins, challenges, comeback stories, you name it, really across global supply chain, but we're going to be supporting financially and via uplifting the message of Hope for Justice, which is a nonprofit that has laid out its mission to eradicate global slavery. So talk about some frank conversations we need to have, Greg, plenty in that regard. But y'all join us, uh, register, nominate, sponsor, and we look forward to seeing you in December. Yeah. Okay, Greg, let's say hello to a few folks, and then we're going to be swooshing in the one and only Lars Ciceri, Peter Bolay, all night and all day. Greg, his ears should have been burning this morning, right? Yeah, we were talking about him and Steve Keaveny both in uh, this – top secret discussion that some of you may get to read about in the future. Right. <laughs> we'll see. But Peter, great to have you back. Garab, great to have you back via LinkedIn. Remind us again where you're tuned in from, everybody, as y'all I'm going to guess hello. that's India. Let me see mm. if I'm right. Let's see. Let's definitely see if you're right. Peter, you missed number 700. That's okay. You have plenty of chances to get that back. It's still out there. Go back and listen. It's worth it. Right. But you are here for Laura, one of our favorite conversations. Trinavis, hello, tuned in via LinkedIn from India. I'll tell you, he is becoming Mr. Consistency. Uh, Trinavis is always here. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts here today. Yeah, boy. And he he must be a night owl because it's 1038 p.m., depending on what part of the country he's in in India. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, confirm that time. <laughs> Trinavis, let us know. But looking forward to your POV here today. Marlo from dallas texas thanks marlo you nailed it in one message all tuned in via linkedin there you right go. here joseph moretta hope this finds you well. wow. he's up in the new york area i think or at least northeast 
and he's got a new podcast, relatively new podcast. So share information about that, Joe. Jose, hello from Southern California, where I bet it's. Uh, I wonder what the weather's like. <laughs> right, I bet it's gorgeous. Yeah, uh, he's tuned the in easiest from- job in the world is meteorologist in San Diego, California. <laughs> Let me guess, it's sunny and seventy-three. I bet you're within a degree or two. Yeah, Azalea is back now. Greg, you may have caught our live stream yesterday with Transplace, and I think Azalea may have stumped. A data scientist with a couple of great questions. What? Are you so, serious? Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of halfway. The question? I did not see that. It was basically, she was asking, you know, so Azalea is a data analyst, maybe a data scientist of her own. I mean, she's also a biomedical engineer graduate, but she was talking about some of the outliers and some of the really non-signals that you've got to call out as you're analyzing tidal waves of data. So you don't read into the wrong things aren't true signals. And, and, and I butchered that question, Azalea, but you, you asked it a lot better than I did, but really enjoyed your Maybe she can post it here today. Yeah, maybe so. Not that we'll do any better with it. All right. Uh, and then finally, hello, Piyush. Great to see you here via LinkedIn. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Look forward to your uh, comments. All right. So, Greg, are you ready? We have got to introduce, really just not introduce, everybody knows Lars Cesari, but I want to share a couple of things before we swoosh her in. Are you ready? Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. And it looks like Joe Moretta is dropping the links to supply chain briefs in the comments. Y'all check that out. All right. So our guest today is founder. I of hope supply that's chain. what's on the show, not what he's doing the show in. Yep. So <laughs> That's a good call out, Greg. I think I've made that mistake before. So our guest today is founder of Supply Chain Insights. She's author of the popular blog, Supply Chain Shaman. Hosted yeah. a long-running podcast. She was, she was podcasting before it really became cool. Straight Talk with Supply Chain Insights. She's host and partner, as we mentioned, for September's big Supply Chain Insights Global Summit. And I love this mission. We love genuine, noble missions, and this is a good one. It's simple, to help supply chain make the world a better place. So with all of that said, let's welcome in Laura Ciceri. Laura, good afternoon. How you doing? Awesome. It's just always good to be swooshed. I know that. <laughs> yes, I tell you. I, I love how that. much you appreciate it in particular. Many people remain amazed and somehow confounded by it, but you have embraced the swoosh. So. The old lady being swooshed. Yeah, here <laughs> I am. Well, I, what I think, I love the consistency also of your chrysanthemum there. So when can we expect to see, am I seeing some color on that? right behind you there yet? Or when do we expect to see some color on that thing? It's a poinsettia. And Sorry. poinsettias are holiday, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, Greg, you know, Christmas in August, no, not happening, right? We got a little time. And hopefully we're going to be talking even in the holidays and we can I'm, unveil it. Okay. I'm just trying to see if there's a preview that we can get. No, no, no plant blooms before it's time. And getting a poinsettia to turn red is a whole process. <laughs> well, I presume that you have that process under control. We'll see, you know, <laughs> we'll check back in in the holidays. Right now, it's, Darn skippy. Just, it's just enjoying the summer. Yes, yes. Gardening's Gardeners to Admire, a new list published by Laura Ciceri perhaps in the future. But we'll get some poinsettia updates for sure. I want to close out one loop. Laura, you may have seen us talking about Southern California before you joined us. Jose is confirming. 
Greg's uh, take. If you've ever wondered what paradise looks like, weather-wise at least, Southern California is the close version of it. I love it. Amen. And Ziggy, Ziggy say, come on, Greg. He's critiquing your garden. I don't know why I always confuse those two. You know, we have chrysanthemums in our yard, which look nothing like a poinsettia, but poinsettia. <laughs> and then yeah. one final comment here. I love, he's like, he's got a nice sense of humor. The new podcast does not relate to the clothing choice, although perhaps the supply chain behind the clothing briefs would be a good topic. So we'll see, Joe. Great. Still, to have in, you. still in good supply, I believe, but right. unlike the great toilet paper shortage of 2020. Uh, well, Laura, we've heard plenty about toilet paper this year and computer chips and many other things. We're going to start this conversation. You know, a lot of times we have a lot of fun on the front end as we get to know Laura a little better. We're going to start on a, on a more somber note. But before we talk about the late, great Roddy Martin, I'd like to, you made a great point. You and Greg were, as y'all were exchanging perspectives around the pandemic and, and really from a data and scientific standpoint, I believe it was you that made the point about having the, you know, the value of a really frank, genuine data-centric conversation, and that's not arguably maybe not as common as it used to be. Can you, would you elaborate a little bit more on that, and then we'll switch gears and talk about Roddy? Well, I think that many supply chain folks thought, you know, vaccine in the arm, COVID behind us, pandemic behind us, you know, new normal, but that's not going to be what happened, right? Traditional supply chain risk management was always, we would have an event, a hurricane, you know, big fire, earthquake, and we'd all rally and we would have recovery and then we'd reach a new normal. But what's happening in the pandemic is disruption after disruption after disruption, and the disruptions are local and they're changing, right? So I was talking to people in Dallas yesterday, one ICU bed in Dallas, right? Mm. And, you know, we're opening up the Canadian border and thank heavens, India is getting to be better. But global supply chains are about, you know, how do we plan to execute regionally and how do we sense and respond And traditional supply chains don't sense very well. Right. And our logistics are all screwed up. I mean, you know, whether it's air or ocean or road, right? And we've always assumed that transportation is available, we'll just negotiate price. And shippers aren't necessarily good shippers. So the pandemic and what's happening in COVID is really here to stay. And I, you know, we were talking about when the pandemic started, you know, the analogy was it would be like, you know, the flu where, you know, every year we know there's going to be a flu and it's just a different strain of a flu and we get a different vaccine you know, if we want to, based upon that strain, and we take precautions. So the question is, how do we have the preparation for what's happening in the coronavirus as part of the normal? And how mm -hmm. do we sense and adapt more readily? Because supply chains don't sense very well. Mm. Uh, I enjoyed that commentary. I enjoyed the conversation pre-show. Greg, I'm going to give you a chance to kind of follow up, and then we're going to move into talking about uh, industry titan any additional thoughts on your end greg yeah i think we're numbers people a lot in in supply chain right we we trust the data we believe the data i mean obviously we don't trust it without scrutiny but you know there was a time when just as laura was saying that 
doctors recognized and published. And now that I've said that, I'm sure somebody's going to want to see the article, which I have kept, but I'd have to dig it up. They said that this was not a deadly enough virus for it to kill enough hosts to go away. So the statement that was made by this particular Harvard doctor was, we'll have to accept that there will be cold flu and COVID season. And it has clearly borne out to be true with all of these variants, Delta and Lambda just being two of the latest and most prominent. But we kind of lost track of that, which, by the way, is not a bad analogy for supply chain, because there are also rules and norms and science that go into supply chain that we get emotional about in supply chain and lose track of. And, you know, there's there is a lot of alignment there. And I think we're starting to come around now to where we can have an intellectually honest discussion. We're starting to see more scientists and more doctors actually come back to that message, the message that this is a more of a, a cold type not cold, but uh, a COVID recurring type virus rather than a, a tremendously deadly world ender. And we're starting to see people start to be able to have that conversation without being shouted down. And I think that's when we'll start to see some real solutions put forth, which will give us the ability to start to stabilize things a little bit. I, I, th- I mean, it's probably a year away. But, you know, that it's that it really the real impact of that hits. But I think we're going to start having a more intellectually honest discussion much sooner than that. All right. So, Laura, you're shaking your head a little bit. You think it's going to be longer than a year? I do. I think that the repercussions of what we're going through, whether it's the fallout on local economy, state and local government, hospitals, um, you know, how we do business. You know, we don't know what the new variants are going to be. Uh, I think that we've just really got to change supply chains to sense outside in and respond. And one of the unfortunate things that I observe is supply chains have become more political over the last decade. You know, Greg, you say that supply chain leaders, you know, center themselves in data. I wish that were true. Yeah, right. My observation is that as we've become more global and we've become more functional, that we have just horrible political discussions about what does the data mean, you know, and how do we deal with the data versus, you know, how do we work together? So what do we want the data to mean, Laura, to some extent, right? And the alignment between commercial and operations teams has a greater fissure today than it did during the Great Recession. And I think we need to say what we've done in the automation of the functions, because DRP models don't match transportation logistics models. Hmm. Manufacturing finite scheduling is typically not working on schedule adherence with the tactical plan. The single threading of planning through functions is a problem. The fact that we want to get really precise on imprecise data and forecasting is a problem because what we really need to be looking at is how do we plan in the face of variability? Yeah. The increased variability in supply is an issue, right? But yet we don't have supply chain master data where we're looking at shifts in in transit, right? So I think we've got to change our mental models 
to be able to sense and to challenge historic practices and challenge our leaders to improve the alignment outside in with commercial teams and operational teams. All right. So we, uh, 19 minutes in, we have already, uh, that is all that's worth the price of admission. I, I wish we could dive, spend several hours continuing this segment through, but we got some other stuff. I want to, I want to get you and Greg both the way on, and of course, all the folks in the, in the sky boxes, Peter makes a great point because this is part of the, part of the challenge. One of the many challenges we're at here. So he says here in Quebec, the passport's being rolled out September 1st. You'll need both vaccines to go to bars, restaurants, events, any place non-essential. Non-passport, no go. Already the craziness is starting because workers in those places cannot be mandated to be fully vaccinated. Kyle says, never thought about that mandate. And by the way, Kyle also loved your comment there. Supply chains have become more political. Preach, say it louder for folks in the back, Laura. Excellent point there. All right, so let's move right along. Um, and Laura, a lot of other stuff that we want to get to, including, you know, global business lost a leader, a leadership, and, and really an industry titan as well thought of globally in the late Roddy Martin. Now, lived a full life. I, I've been reading lots of different takes on his journey and, and various obituaries. He was really sought after for not just supply chain expertise, but digital transformation expertise, change management, and so much more. It's tough to do him justice as we're trying to tee up this segment in a couple minutes. But one of the nicknames he earned was the Great Connector. And Laura and Greg, Kevin O'Mara put together probably one of my favorite pieces about uh, Roddy Martin. And he said, quote, Roddy was a human embodiment of what supply chain means to the world, end quote. Greg, Laura, how would you like to be quoted as that when you, you pass this world into the next one? But no, Laura, you worked with Roddy Martin at AMR Research, I think, for mm -hmm. almost four years. I enjoyed your piece that you put together as well. What's a couple of things that, that not only you would like to have folks know about Roddy, but what do you think he and his family might would also appreciate about who he was? Roddy was a very unique and bright individual. He had a very forward looking perspective and he loved open debate. And some of my first and most memorable thoughts about Roddy are the intense arguments we used to have on a whiteboard. I mean, Roddy and I would go at it like brother and sister for hours drawing and racing. And, you know, I miss that. And I think Roddy missed that too when he left AMR, which is why we reconnected. And we actually, in the last decade, had just some wonderful discussions virtually about what was happening and what could happen and what the barriers were. So the first thing is just a very bright, creative, caring individual. The second thing is Roddy had many dimensions, right? He came from South Africa with suitcases with his family. You know, wow. he, he took the plunge when Bruce Richardson went to see him in South Africa to say, become an analyst. He started as a machinist and he worked in a beer manufacturing in South Africa, and he came to the United States with a couple of suitcases. And he used, to, he used to laugh, and he had pictures in his office about, you know, making the journey to the United States and, uh, you know, shift in citizenship and moving his family. But imagine the leap of faith to move your family from South Africa to become an analyst from a manufacturing world starting as a machinist. And, you know, he loved horses and, you know, he worked in 
you know, military around horses and horse training, and he loved water sports. And one of my very favorite pictures before he died, he swam the Buzzard Bay, you know, as part wow. of an event, right? Right when he first was starting to get sick. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he has this great picture with his medal on his neck. And he says, Laura, we never get old. Gosh, it's so tough to do. I appreciate you sharing all of that. It, again, it's tough to do justice to such a, um, a huge personality that had so many mm -hmm. different accomplishments that was so trusted, a trusted resource for leaders around the world. You know, that story that you mentioned of where he basically packed up what he had in a couple of suitcases and, and moved to here to the U.S. from South Africa. It reminds me, Greg, of uh, Hannah Kane, an alum who, uh, who we have interviewed and she had a very similar experience and she may not have had even two suitcases. She might have had one, Greg, <laughs> yeah. if you remember that. So what, uh, you, you know, Greg, I know you've, we both have done uh, our research and, and kind of, you know, I never had the good fortune of meeting Roddy Martin, but i really have enjoyed kind of piecing together who he was and what he meant from all the different takes, similar to what Laura has shared here today. Anything stand out the most uh, to you, Greg, when we talk about Roddy Martin? Uh, I think the biggest thing is exactly, you know, what he's known for is for connecting people, for the intellectual honesty that Laura has just, you know, has just talked about his ability to his ability to have a very distinct point of view, to communicate that point of view strongly and yet to do so in a way that is intellectual and not personal and and also I have to tell you, I, I would have never guessed Roddy. This, this is, was a bit of a surprise to me. I would have never guessed Roddy to be subject to the sales wiles of Bruce Richardson. I mean, I know Bruce could sell, you know, he could sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman in white gloves, but I would have never guessed that he could get Roddy to come to the States like that. I did not know that aspect of, of his life. So that's, pretty impressive. And I think it does show in a way, really, it does show a lot of his breadth and depth. And I, and I think also, Greg, what Roddy taught me was intellectual debate shouldn't be personal. And mm. that is actually one of the key learnings of Laura as she's matured, right? I, I fight things hard and, you know, intellectual debates are something that I really love. But Roddy used to always say to me, you know, let's go forward by going forward. Let's agree to disagree. Mm -hmm. Let's go forward by going forward. And I, you know, at first I didn't understand that statement of let's go forward by going forward. It just sounds simple. But really what he was communicating was let's not let our intellectual debates, which they were really hard fought. I mean, Roddy and I were active intellectual debaters. I mean, you can only imagine Let's let, don't let that discourse stand in the way of our ability to work together. I love that. That Let's make sure we capture that supply chain now team. Big thanks to Jada, Amanda, Allie, and Clay behind the scenes. Let's, let's go forward by, let's move forward by going forward. And it's so, it's such a simple lesson. It seems like maybe to learn about the power of agreeing to disagree, but gosh, in this, these vitriolic times, we uh, collectively, we've really lost that ability to do just that. And, and, you know, whether it's social media, whether it's a variety of issues that are so filled with friction and, and maybe personal feelings, that's going to be an important element to truly moving forward and getting more stuff done that, that industry needs, next generations need, and you know, consumers need, frankly. So I appreciate you sharing that, Laura. Uh, one, one more question about 
Roddy Martin. And let's make sure also, team, if we could drop uh, Laura interviewed Roddy, I'm, I'm sure plenty of times, but on her podcast, I want, I want to offer that that link in the comments if we could drop that. But when, when we think of his legacy beyond what you've shared, anything else that you think would be important? Of course, he's well known. And I never saw it, but this this eighty slide PowerPoint. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh! Um, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> how how obvious is that? I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah. So that yeah. clearly. You know, so we all told Brody stories, right? He had the ugliest slides known to man, and <laughs> you know the decks were at eighty. They were usually a hundred, hundred and fifty, and he loved help cleaning them up. And I was his girl Friday for many years, cleaning up those powerpoints, right? And I would, I would work hard to clean up the PowerPoint and it would be like he would smash in new files. And, you know, but, you know, he had lots of energy and he was well loved, even though the PowerPoints were ugly. And I would say another kind of funny story about Roddy is Roddy tended to sometimes kind of at, after lunch, his head would nod, you know, and we used to always set somebody beside Roddy, you know, in the vendor briefings to keep him awake, you know, like the elbow, right? And I got to tell you, when the elbow came and he came back, you know, to consciousness, it was like he missed nothing, right? I mean, his eyes could have been closed. And I mean, you know, you could tell that he was in sleep, but he could listen in his sleep. It was incredible. It was, it was hysterical. Oh, gosh. Uh, paint such a great picture. Uh, I really appreciate you sharing, Laura. He will certainly uh, doesn't do it justice, but he'll be more than missed. But he's made a massive impact. He set the bar high for what the impact that leaders should be making and, and the way they move the needle and, and how you do uh, connect what supply chain is doing to uh, driving real change, meaningful change globally uh, when it comes to business and a lot more. So I appreciate the opportunity to go ahead. Can I just close with Please. two thoughts, right? On Roddy's LinkedIn page, he has a statement of making outside-in processes easier. And we're not good at that, right? We don't, we haven't unlocked that power. And I still think that's a wonderful thought. And then I'd also love for you to drop the link about the scholarship that is being started in Roddy's name for mm. Pretoria University for others that maybe were touched by Roddy that might want to contribute to help another student in South Africa find his way into supply chain, his or her. Absolutely. Let's, um, we should have had that. I should have had that pre-show. That's a great call out there. If we could Google that really quick and then drop that in the comments as well, team. I appreciate y'all's flexibility and nimbleness, if that's the right word. Um, a lot of comments here. Greg, while I kind of start teeing up these comments, give us some of your, um, what, what are you thinking of as Laura shares these reflections? Well, I think I think it's um, important for us to think about the fact that leaders and opinion makers and experts in this field, like Laura, had at one time a mentor who helped them get to there. And even, I mean, I think we've all sort of throughout our careers thought of Laura as one of the greats. But to, the, you know, to think about the fact that at once she was just a fledgling practitioner or analyst or intellect like the rest of us are, you have to acknowledge that no matter how great you are, someone helped get you there. Someone helped shape you, helped guide you, helped you, um, you know, find your way in the industry. And I think that, frankly, ought to be really, really encouraging to people. Not everyone will be Roddy Martin or Laura Cesari, but if you hitch, hitch your star to someone who 
is as intellectual and intellectually honest as Laura or Roddy, then it will undoubtedly improve your career. Yep. Well said to you both. All right. I got it. We got so many comments. I'm, I'm, I wish I could get to all of them. So much good stuff here, but I got to go back. Uh, this is Art Mesher. You know, the one and only he came on. Uh, I can't remember exactly how we, we phrased his, his, his chat with Corinne and I, but there's something like, um, uh, uncontained or, or something, but he, he brought it much like Laura does. He, he says not only political when it comes to supply chain, but there's an important woke around ESG and circular economy impacts, slavery, et cetera. There's a new social transparency that is political, but not in a bad way, in a good way. We must make it all better in what we do. I love that art. All I think right. all of those things that we talk about that you, you can call them social or whatever you want, but they contribute to the stability and the predictability of the supply chain, right? So, I mean, if, if you won't do it for the right reason, do it for selfish reasons, but do it, right? right? Because if you're not operating in a place where people are enslaved to do the work to build your thing, that, that does, if you aren't subject to that, that does accrue to the benefit of your supply chain. Excellent point. Well, and to Art's point, you know, I wish that we would stop greenwashing the supply chain and get to authoritative identifiers for true track and trace and build value networks that have interoperability. We can't really track and trace to put our muscle behind our words for fair labor or for organic food. And safe and secure supply chain should be part of our mission to be able to do what Art's talking about with the circular economy and, you know, ethical supply chains. And most corporations don't know how to do that. And yeah. Art's an investor. So Art, I'd love to see you put your money where your mouth is and bring those companies to bear. Hey, you know what? We're going to have to get uh, Greg, uh, Laura and Art together. Gosh, that'd be like a, that'd be a NFL of supply chain leagues. I don't know. I can't come up with the right analogy there, but uh uh, Charles Heater says, excellent point, Greg, that power of mentorship and, and really beyond the power of mentorship, the responsibility to be a mentor of, of giving forward as, as Greg, you've coined here. Also, we have we have found and dropped the link to the uh, to Roddy scholarship. Y'all, please uh, click on that uh, if you can support it, no matter. Yeah. Uh, Greg, I'm not stealing your phrase. What do you what do you say when it comes to donating? Inf infamously. Oh, you mean give, give small, give simple, give now? Is that right. what you mean? That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Words to live by. Okay. And hello, Ron. That's how you start sailing too. <laughs> start small, start simple. <laughs> okay. Start now. Oh, gosh. All right. So, Rhonda, great to have you here as well. And, Charles, thanks for that. Always a pleasure to have you in our live streams. All hey, right. I think uh, to, to Laura's point yep. also, I think, and, and, you know, it's funny because we had this whole discussion about how, the SEC is going to compel companies to report in a formatted way on their ESG initiatives, particularly around sustainability. But there are also those initiatives around human slavery and trafficking and that sort of thing. I think we have to acknowledge as consumers that every time we buy something from someone who is a bad actor, we are voting for that bad act. We are voting with our dollars with that bad act. And we need to, and there is the ability to, and in that post, I wish I could pull it up right now, but uh, in that post, there is the ability to, and the links for places where you can go to see who is a bad actor. I have hammered Adidas for their participation in Xinjiang. 
Nike and H&M and Adidas have made a very significant effort to get out. And I have to tell you, it has damaged their business in China because China is actively has active retribution against them. You cannot get to an H&M store in on a car service in China now. They have erased their stores from the maps in China. So they are paying they are willing to pay the price and that is because we the consumers have voted with our wallets to you know to support and and not support certain things. But mm. you know, well, I think you know, that's that's an important acknowledgement we need to make. We are the beginning and end of the supply chain. And it takes leadership, right? I remember when Danny Wegman and Coca-Cola got together and Procter and Gamble, and we came up with the barcode, 1980s. But at the start of the pandemic, only 20% of medical devices were GS1 compliant. Mm. Now, mm. medical device firms make 20 to 22% margin. There is no right. excuse for that. Net margin. Net margin. Right. Wow. And yet I read all of these beautiful statements, the J&J credo, right? You know, but when I talk to a medical device company, if you want to help in the pandemic, let's get with authoritative identifiers. Let's build value networks. Let's track and trace. Let's improve the safety and security of the medical and healthcare supply chain. Yep. It's not happening. They're self-centered, serving only the balance sheet. And I miss the leadership, right? right? You know, what Sandy Douglas and Danny Wegman did for CPG needs to happen in all value chains. Yes. Well, you know, as uh, a couple of folks have pointed out, you know, rather than the greenwashing and rather than maybe uh, societal improvement washing, whatever, you know, insert lots of different words you could put there, a, a stronger spotlight with stronger industry approved metrics and, and standards uh, will help the reckoning that should be taking place. Uh, Greg, you know, speaking to, you know, we could, we could talk for hours around China. Uh, I had some conversations with my own kids about different elements that, that are proven and acknowledged to take place there. And it just, it blew them away. And it, look, every country has its opportunities, but, but what is state sanction there and what is um, it is, it is a travesty. And, um, and a reckoning does need to, take, need to take place. But all right, let me let me kick that soapbox over to the side. I don't want to steal it from y'all. All right. So speaking of holding folks accountable, we got to hold ourselves accountable, right? That's as important. And you had a great article you published in late July, Laura, about just that holding ourselves accountable for business results. And there's look talking about things that we're not going to be able to do justice to in, in, you know, 15 minutes time is chuck chunk, uh, chock full of key takeaways. I love the, you know, your, your commentary about really defining what supply chain excellence is to, you know, all the ERP, you know, the ERP is becoming such a major, a $78 billion market by 2026 is what it's projected to be according to one source out there. But, I'm going to come to you first, Laura. I'd love to get what you think are the most important points from that piece. And then, Greg, I'm circling back to you to get uh, your, the same uh, take from you. So, Laura, what should folks pay attention to in that piece? I think three things. One, inventory is both waste and buffer. But we entered the pandemic with 20 more days of inventory than we had 2007 at the Great Recession. And if you drive up every major freeway, 
On either side are warehouses full of inventory, 20 more days. But yet we push cost and waste back in the supply chain by extending payables. And when we do, we penalize suppliers and we penalize carriers. Carriers are very fragile right now. We don't have enough drivers. You know, we should be talking about early payment, not payment net 90, right? So the management of cash to cash ethically and recognizing where we are and taking responsibility for all of those warehouses, which causes issues with runoff and destroyed inventory in our landfills should be a supply chain mantra. Secondly, you know, resilience in supply chains at the intersection of operating margin and inventory turns actually took a downward trend in 25 of the 28 industry sectors in 2014. When you look at our ability to manage margin and inventory together, it was a precipitous change. And we're just now talking about resilience in the pandemic. Right. And one of the issues is because we focused on cost, not on margin. And only 29% of companies can get to cost. And most people only can get to functional cost, not to total cost, which throws the supply chain out of balance. And in most cases, we're shifting demand versus shaping demand, which is increasing cost and really destroying margin. So, you know, resilience is important, but we really need to look at the patterns of those industries and think differently how we run these companies. So if, if I can, uh, I want to get Greg's take on what you just shared there. Cause uh, Greg, I bet, I bet you had uh, uh, some great epiphanies as you're reading some of uh different pieces of this article. What comes to mind for you, Greg? I think what um, continues to vex me, frankly, is, and I had this conversation with Tim Hinckley, formerly of FedEx and Radial, what continues to vex me is some of the problems that have been solved, waste being one of them, risk management in the context of managing risk and managing resilience without uh, break in the bank in terms of inventory, how that problem has, I wouldn't say solved, but is much, much better handled at the finished goods retail and distribution level than it is at the manufacturing level. And I think largely that's a function of exactly what Laura talked about with pharmaceutical and me and medical and other, other manufacturers. Their gross and net margins, gross is in all capital letters with most manufacturers, mm -hmm. And their net margins are so high that they have traditionally been sloppy with their inventory management. And it has created a lot of waste in the mm -hmm. supply chain and yet waste without resilience. It has been kind of a mass market appeal, more of everything rather than more of targeted things, more of those things that are risky. If we're talking about buffer stocks, Laura, right? It's more of everything, not more of this thing that has greater risk or more of this thing that has less reliable demand or, you know, and, and some of those bad practices, they are just exaggerated at the manufacturing level. And it stuns me. I work with a company that works with manufacturers every day and it stuns me the inefficiencies that I see over and over again in these enormous companies that they work with that should be well above that. And I can only figure that is the slop 
that they are allowed to have in their supply chain because of the incredible margins that they generate. Well, in inventory, we really have got to look at form and function and we've only managed safety stock and we've managed that badly. And I think the other thing that I've learned in the last decade is that leaders that do it best are good at navigating the world of gray and our investments are all about black and white. Mm. They're about transactions. They're about, you know, looking at data and trying to get it perfect. Whereas supply chain is and supply chain variation on both the channel side and the supply side is all about the world of gray. And so how do we change how we work so that we can have more impactful discussions in the world of gray? Yes. I love that. All right. We got a these comments and I got to share. They're going to be going back a little ways, but I, there's some really good stuff here. Going back to, as Leah Davis says, hey, before talking about some of these challenges uh, we're speaking to earlier, we were unaware, but now more and more of these poor ethical cha- uh, practices are getting exposed. We can't make excuses any longer to ignore these issues if they really matter. Excellent point there. That's why these issues we're dealing with are cyclical and continue to impact our progress. Excellent point. So Art responded. He puts his money to see my local lines. Uh, let's see, Strella Tilbrook Investments made a six-digit donation to CSCMP, launched a new training center for design. That's good. Perhaps others can join me in making donations. Uh, there will be a tax receipt. Hey, how about that? Those are, those are good things to have. Thank you for that, uh, Art. And let's see here. Peter made a great distinction, ERP. Folks, if, if you're not with us here, Enterprise Resource Planning System. And then finally, an update from Rhonda. So Laura, uh, Rhonda's husband, uh, may be switching to a new opportunity. He had an interview yesterday at a DC. Rhonda's husband was offered a job at the top paying rate. I think he's going to be turning it down, though. It requires working five to 12-hour days, no overtime pay until 50 hours. And at his age, with his experiences, that's a deal breaker. And she says... Um, Especially in this market. Right. I can't right? find She basically added to those, that and said, they're, we're going to be burning a lot of folks out with those types of conditions, uh, Greg and Laura. So, again, I know we're talking about a lot of different things here. I, I, I wanted to make sure we re- represent the voice of uh, folks in the skyboxes. Shifting gear, I mean, of the – we think about holding ourselves accountable. And when I hear, hear that in Rhonda, and yesterday I had a conversation with some folks around you know, the modern workforce management some of these crazy conditions and pay rates and expectations certainly come into mind. Laura, uh, you're shaking your head. What are your thoughts there? And Greg, I'll come to you next. Yeah, it's the U.S. form of slave labor, right? Uh, One of the speakers, we're going to talk about my conference, is uh, head of the Women's Trucking Association in the United States. And she talks about who are the worst shippers to deliver to and why and how can shippers improve the life of truckers and help us to, you know, really alleviate the issue that we have with trucking reliability? And it's an amazing story of, you know, just how do we treat people that are so critical in the supply chain, whether they're a distribution worker or a trucker, and why can we not change our practices? to be better shippers and recognize the needs of what it takes to deliver goods. Love that, Laura. Greg, I know you love that as well. We've talked about that a lot. In fact, we had a, we had a April truck driver with Walmart that joined us last week. And it was one of my favorite 
interviews in recent memory, just the sharpest, most dedicated, passionate person. And she spoke about some of that. But Greg, what else uh, along the lines of what Laura just shared, what comes to mind? Well, I, you know, I think about the, the situation that we're in these days and that there, there are jobs where the, the core participants are flooding away from the workplace, right? Baby boomers are still leaving the workforce at 10,000 a day. And they are the truck drivers and they are the warehouse workers and they are the manufacturing workers. And it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how we treat people in those jobs. Millennials and Gen Z's are not going to take those jobs. And, and our generation are the managers of people in those jobs. So some of those jobs, some aspect of those jobs will be automated. And thankfully for that, because I, I am frankly stunned, honestly, the, the way that some people are treated, you know, and, and April gave us some stories about that experiences she's had or has heard of firsthand about how people are treated, particularly drivers, which is stunning. But, and also Rhonda, 50 hours. I didn't even know that was legal 50 hours before you get overtime. I thought at 40 hours, it was legally mandated that you got overtime. I don't understand some of these things. I feel like, I feel like Phil Hartman, I'm just a simple caveman. I know not of your advanced and evil ways. But it is, I mean, it is interesting some of the offenses that we we hear about out there. And I can't believe, Laura, a, a year and a half ago, we were having the discussion when employment was at near full employment, right? At statistically full employment, we were having the discussion that you can't continue to treat people the way that some industries and in some roles they are treated and expect people to take the job. And now that there's so many jobs out there and so many, so much opportunity for people, you sure as hell cannot expect to be able to do that and get away with it. What are people thinking? Who are well, these people really? Well, the lowest satisfaction rates of supply chain employees, I find are demand planners, distribution workers and truck drivers. And how do we redefine work to improve job satisfaction. And so at my conference, I've got a demand planner and I've got a truck driver and we're going to have those discussions about how do we become a better shipper? How do we support people and jobs more hopefully? Of course, we're talking about the Supply Chain Insights Global Summit. The links are in the show notes and you can, of course, go to the URL there as well. Come out and check that out. We, we got those are conversations we got to be having. You know, can I just point one thing out? This please. this to me is is kind of the benefit of where we are with events like like Laura's event, and and that is we can't run out of seats, of virtual seats, right? I mean, I think in the past, Laura, you've had to limit the attendance to your to your conference, but now you don't have to do that. So. Uh, this is a, to me, I think this is a brilliant concept. We saw AI AG do this right after the lockdowns occurred in March. With there, they went virtual and physical at that point. And I think this is a brilliant way to do these kind of things so that more and more people who can't travel, can't afford to travel, or, you know, as is coming with or has come with some businesses are back to travel bans, can still attend this thing and get this benefit. Yep. Right. Yeah, so we used to have to limit it because it is a very different conference than right. 
there are no paid speakers. There's no Trotsky's and booth babes and, you know, booths. And uh, right. I handpick all the speakers. And the theme is imagine, and this time it's supply chain 2030. So the themes are re let's reimagine manufacturing. Where are we on 3D printing? How do we move from 2D to 3D drawings? What's the role of, you know, 3D printing? What's possible? What's additive? How do we redefine digital manufacturing to think about source, make, and deliver together, use the signals? And how do we drive innovation and standardization together in global centers of excellence? Because we're not good at process innovation. And then there's the whole area around how do we redefine transportation? You know, how do we use robotics and Hyperloop to unload ocean? How do we improve visibility and how do we redesign to be better shippers? Mm -hmm. And then how do we redesign planning so we don't single thread source, make and deliver through functions, but really look holistically outside in and use all the signals that are available and redefine the work of the planners? And then how do we celebrate companies in the supply chains to admire, which only 4% of public companies actually beat their peer group what can we learn from them and how can we really think about supply chain excellence and then how do we embrace a new form of leadership so the conference is designed as a facilitated workshop i bring new forms of research so this time it's on new forms of analytics open source analytics the work we've been doing in project zebra which is really about outside in processes the work with western digital and bsh on you know, how do we build outside in processes? And it's a facilitated workshop where I challenge people to think differently to drive new outcomes because it's the unlearning that is so difficult. People are so- No doubt. The traditional mindset of historic supply chain processes, they've got to unlearn before they can rethink. And they talk about change management, but we're not actively unlearning. And we're not actively holding ourselves accountable for all those DCs stuck full of inventory that can't get, you know, moving for all those ocean containers that maybe shouldn't be on the water because only 9% of supply chains are designed for all those truckers that are struggling because their time's up and there's no place to park for all those demand planners that are not well understood. This conference is for us to start a different discussion. All right. So I'm smiling because Greg, you haven't done it lately, but a lot of times you will do this preach gesture. And as Laura's making those, those beautiful points. Now you usually when you do it well, Greg, we can see it in your face. You get the emotion in your face. So uh, something like that, but Asleya has a great comment as you're making some of those points there. Asleya says, these are the conversations that need to be happening in board boardrooms, but probably are not. Laura is definitely probing the minds of these leaders and catalyzing our recovery with this event. How about that? Excellent word. Undoubtedly. Uh, and, and always, frankly, does, regardless of an event. <laughs> true. Regardless of an event, Laura is has never been afraid to challenge. And frankly, that's why she's on her own and not at other analyst groups is the bigger your constituency, the more refined your message has to be, Scott. We were talking about that today yep. with our in our secret meeting. <laughs> but I, I think that's that's an important part of what we need to do. And to 
to hopefully rest some concerns as Leah, there are companies that don't need to have that conversation in the boardroom. They are acting appropriately as a matter of culture every single day. I see it every day. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of a couple companies in particular. We don't see it enough and we don't see it enough, particularly in the physical logistics industries. But I've worked with companies in the physical logistics interest industries that are good to their people, that are good to their clients, that that cultivate great relationships with their shippers. And likewise, shippers that are great participants in supply chain as well. So they exist. They just there just aren't enough of them out there. Yep. You gotta work hard to find them. Hey, this is high praise. It's like getting a compliment. When you get a compliment from Laura, when you get a compliment from Greg or or in this case Art Mesher, this is stuff you can take to the bank. Art says she has become Laura the best in the business and way better and distanced from anyone else. Best in the business by a country mile. How about Amen that? To that? Art. Amen. I'm, I agree. Completely agree with you. Laura, I'm going to give you a chance to respond before we kind of wrap on a couple of key points. Thank you very much, Art. And it's my hope that together we can help this to become a better place. And I'm hoping that, you know, the partnership with Supply Chain Now, because you'll be facilitating the online virtual as we're doing the in-person. And, you know, I'm partnering with you because you deliver a better experience. And I am excited to rock and roll online globally for people to have conversations that they need to happen. And so invite your executives, invite the people that need to have these kind of conversations to register. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. Our own behalf, our entire team. We appreciate that. The experience cannot be overstated and we got to constantly reinvent and improve every single day. It's, it's a journey with no finish line. Um, I, I got to make this observation. You know, automation was a big part of, of our conversation kind of throughout. I saw this story in the wall street journal uh, the other day, French fries, you know, they make or break you. Everyone knows, and, and and I hope you are in kindred spirits here, the best French fries in the world, McDonald's. I'm sorry, McDonald's. Yeah, I don't think so no. anymore. <laughs> All right, no. so, when well, they change the oil, no, I don't think so. <laughs> well, here's here's what we can't agree on. French fries are delicious. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the best so, fruit, food in the world, undoubtedly. <laughs> so uh, the, who the varsity, thunk? The Varsity in Atlanta is a pretty good place, right, Greg? Oh, man. Yeah, the, the Varsity dogs. also... Ted's who slices them, Ted's Montana grill that slices them right there in the shop. And I'm trying to think in and out Thank burger, in Thank and out burger, 100% fresh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In and out burger. I like <laughs> the ones in my air fryer. Yeah. Thank goodness for the air fryer that could single handedly be saving us from. Ourselves, oh, right? man. I'm getting, we're getting a lot of comments on these fries here. Clay, Clay, five guys. Five guys. Things. Oh hey, yeah. Here's, here's why I brought it up. Here's why I brought it up. Okay, bring it more, on, Scott. More, yeah, more so uh, to make everybody hungry. But who would have thunk, you know, there's got to be a little bit of an art of making good fries, right? There's probably a couple different, you know, we can standardize as much as you can, but, you know, based on where you are and temperature of the environment, you know, all these different chemistry factors. So White Castle has brought in an, an automated robot to make the French fries as an experiment. It's gone really well, and they're going to be rolling them out in more locations. And, you know, when we think about some of the some of the things out there that can be automated and automated successfully to the point where it's no longer a crutch or a pilot, but it really becomes part of everyday life. That is like a 
it's a signal to me. We, we may have reached a certain point when it comes to automation and some of the factors of what's fueling it. Uh, your quick take and we'll start to wrap, Laura. Well, you know, we started the work on the digital self-driving car in 1935. Um, and so every innovation is leading to spontaneous innovation, but we're a long way away from the self-driving truck and the self-driving car. So I think we've just got to keep working it, right? You know, if we can improve work through robotics, like instantaneous unloading of ships at these ports, I don't know if you've seen how big the ships are and the instantaneous rates of the ports, let's bring it on. If we can improve the ability for a McDonald's worker to fill cups, which my McDonald's is working with a robotics machine to fill cups. I got to tell you, I get five out of 10 drink orders wrong, but you know, I celebrate that they're working on it. Let's work on improving work. Yeah. Let's, let's go forward by moving forward. Uh, what a great, one of the many great points at you, the conversations produced here today. I really appreciate your time uh, as value. I know you stay really busy, Greg and, and I and the whole team here loves your appearances. We appreciate our partnership. Looking forward to a yeah. rock and roll event in September. Hotter than It's going to be rocking, right guys? Yeah. <laughs> like rocking harder than Nashville cats. Undoubtedly, right. Laura, <laughs> the link is in the show notes, folks. Come out and join us. Uh, get the word out there. We're going to be have, having some very real conversations. Of course, if you're talking with Laura, talking with Greg, if you're talking to our team, it's going to be real, frank, and genuine, and maybe a, a poorly kept secret. We're not talking about a million people online. You're actually going to be able to, you're going to be part of an ongoing conversation and be heard. So mm -hmm. check out the event. We'd welcome you. We hope you're going to be uh, joining us in September. In addition to Greg and I, uh, Corinne, Bursa, Kevin L. Jackson, and Kelly Barner all will be co-hosting different parts, representing different uh, walks, uh, different journeys, and different sectors and leadership and whatnot. So y'all come check it out. Laura, last question of the day. There's okay, a but I want to add something because yeah. the archive of your show notes, along with the visual facilitator, will be put into a report for business leaders to help them to think about supply chain 2030. So everybody that comes to rock on in the conversation will be part of the archive and the ideation of how do we make the world better. Man, wow. Greg. All right, Greg, we're going to have to have a That's sensor powerful. button. Yeah, it is powerful stuff, isn't it? I'll be on my best behavior, Laura. Okay, I promise. Good. Well, hey, Laura. But you know, that's still not very good. <laughs> I love you. Well, we love these conversations. Likewise. We admire you and your leadership and, and your ability to, um, you know, get people to think differently and unlearn how it's a big learning here today. Um, all right. So there's a million different ways folks can connect with you. What's uh, it, what, what would be your preferred manner if they want to compare notes with the one only Laura Cesare? Just send me an email. Uh, you know, you can drop it in the chat. Uh, you know, I'd love, I return every LinkedIn comment. I return every email. I, everybody that wants to have a discussion about how to improve supply chain and do things differently, I do briefings with, right? Um, and so just send me an email. It's democratizing the analysis of the supply chain. Someone yeah. with 330,000 followers who responds to, I feel like a slug, who responds to every message on LinkedIn. That well, is impressive, Laura, really. It really is. And, and really appreciate the wide ranging conversation here today. We'll see you before September. But uh, thanks. All the, all the best to uh, the one and the only Laura Ciceri. Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Laura. Right. Man. So this, this comment, I think, summarizes 
at least a lot of my thoughts right at this very moment. Mm. Azalea says this episode's got me wanting to do a march on Washington. <laughs> I'm with you. It really things things so much has to change, so much has to be unlearned, and to really get past these these old and new challenges we have, including what's around the corner. And we think, I mean, just just think about some of the challenges new that we don't even see coming right this second. So I'm with you, and I also got to pull out old AA's old Mohib. Um, <laughs> Uh, where did his comment go? He goes, Scott, you need to get out around and expand your dining experiences. Be more flexible, adaptive, and agile. It's time to get with the program. And I think all that's because of my um, my McDonald's comments. But, hey, I'm keeping it real. Those McDonald's fries, I could eat those every day, and I know I can't. It's not. It wouldn't be good for us, but they're the best in my book. Uh, you know, I wanted to pose this question, and I will for the people in, in the skyboxes. What type of fry? Skinny fries, curly fries. I am a huge steak fry fan. The big flat ones, love those. Or the thick square fries. So uh, I want to get, I want to put that out there for the people in the skyboxes. And I want to tell you that I, I'm still recovering. Laura Ciceri said she loved me. <laughs> that just absolutely makes my day. Oh. I, that just, I am not kidding you. That absolutely makes my day. I, well, and I love her back. That's so. right. We do. Um, we need we need more people like you both that tell it like it is. Uh, you know, that's really so important. Instead of tiptoeing around the tulips, you gotta have folks that just cut through the noise and, and lay it out there. So one um, more thing. Do you know do you know where White Castle comes from, Scott W. Luton? Wichita, Kansas. Darn Skippy. Yep. yep. Also the home of Pizza Hut. Also yep. the home of well, it'll come to me later. Freddy's um, is Freddy's, if everyone's aware of that, that's the custard and thick, skinny hamburger place. Okay. Well, also the air capital of the world, of course. Residence inns, by what, the way. That's the one. Yeah, I think I've told that story, haven't I? Oh, Clay says, don't test Scott's best history IQ. Clay, I love you too, since we're all doing some yeah. love around. But I do not love Arby's Curly Fries, which you gave a shout out to earlier. I can't I can't find it in the, in the tidal wave of comments. They are the, some of the worst fries on the planet. Are those but, batter dipped fries? I don't Arby's? Know. I think I they don't are. Know. If they dip but, them, they dip them in a terrible batter if they are oh, batter dipped. Man, but hey, go out, <laughs> folks, get out there, get out to the varsity, get out to uh, locally owned restaurants. They need, they need your support. <laughs> no fries are bad fries. <laughs> you know, you. so we should probably reveal to everyone that everyone on the supply chain now team. Is on it is watching what they eat right now, and none of us have had fries for about a week now. So <laughs> I'm not sure I'm even still qualified to judge. But I don't, I'm so hungry for fries right now. <laughs> look at this. This is I could just hear Kyle say this dipped in the meat. Talking about Arby's fries. <laughs> Corinne Bursa, host of Tech Talk Digital Supply Chain Podcast, also a great friend with. See, Laura. it's to each their own, right? I tell you what. Uh, all right, so folks, I know we've gone over a little bit. Yeah. Really, really appreciate all the comments. Appreciate everybody's engagement and, and of course, the feedback we've gotten. This is one of our favorite shows. Hey, come out and join us in September. A lot of this, uh, we'll be, we'll have two and a half days to dive in deeper and in an interactive, engaging manner. Um, you know, really, uh, if we we ask y'all to bring your voice to these at live streams in an hour, uh, you'll have to pack up suitcases of your POV for the September event. We'll have that much time to really dive into as we consume keynotes and then discuss some key takeaways there. So 
uh, on behalf of Greg and, of course, the whole team behind the scenes making production happen here today, Jada and Amanda, Clay and Allie. Big thanks to all of them. Thanks to everybody in the skyboxes. Greg, it's been a pleasure. Hey, Laura, Likewise. love what you do. Keep doing what you're doing. And on that note, folks, most importantly, hey, do good. Give forward. Be the change that's needed. Be just like Laura Ciceri. And on that note, we'll see you next time right here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Amen. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.